We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The score! Touchdown burn! I mean, he's sitting there in the room with them. I know, but and, if, and Jerry Seinfeld is like, "No, no, it's the it's the question I'm isn't why that. is he used the, the question? Why does he? Why would somebody want that permission? I don't know. What does that grant you? Like, I uh, never, I never gotten that with, with any of those guys. So he can have that. Fine. You want to? Yeah, that's your writing partner. Enjoy. <laughs> so the headline on this is Ryan Poles reveals Bears strategy for NFL number one draft pick, and I said, "Oh, really? He did? I'm reading this now." And there's a lot of sort of preamble to it, but the quotes are the money in this from Peter King. Yes, they are. And I, quite honestly, Dan, I am shocked by these quotes. Well, and I and as we read them, let, let's just hear them first and then talk about intent. Okay. Okay? So, this is polls. I believe in building something to sustain success for a long period of time. To me, that's got to be through the draft. This is just a chance to load up this team with a bunch of opportunity and flexibility to do that. It's time for this organization. The facility and offices were just built. The new president comes in, and we think in the same innovative way, I think. We're in position to have a new stadium. Now, with this opportunity with the first pick, it feels like an opportunity to kind of heal some of the things that happened before and become a really good team. Everything feels right. Said Paul spoke softly, but urgently, in 50 minutes. He was supportive of quarterback Justin Fields, saying we've got to see it through in giving Fields a chance to be the team's long-term starter. It's clear he's not trading Fields, and he's not picking a quarterback high in this draft. He left little doubt the Bears will trade the first overall pick and said he's spoken to three teams at the Combine about a deal. He wouldn't identify them. He said he had enough conversations about a deal to know in swapping first-round picks this year he can get a 24-1 and a 25-1 in a major package for a trade. However far down he goes in the draft this year, Poles wants to be sure he gets a blue player, his term for a premier first-rounder. See, I think I think that term is more than just a pick. I think a blue player is a blue player, even if he's a veteran. So without disclosing many specifics, it's clear Poles has enough information to think a trade could come long before the first round kicks off April 27th, and making it now would require a huge price. Should we do this before free agency or should we wait? He said, I don't know. That's what I've got. That's what I've communicated to teams. I could carry this all the way until we're on the clock the night of the draft. And then there's teams that want some certainty because if I need a quarterback bad, should I do that now when some of these guys like Derek Carr are out there? Well, he's not out there anymore. To me, they've got to do so much more above to do it now. I'm not greedy with it, but they're going to have to go above and beyond to close the door now. Now, that could mean, and he had brought it up at the Combine with the Bears beat reporters, that player compensation would be a part of it. 
where you would like to get some of that stuff done before free agency starts up because then it gives you a better idea of where you're going to be spending your money in free agency. The the very simple example would be, all right, Indianapolis, we'd really like DeForest Buckner as part of the compensation for the number one pick. And maybe we'll let you slide on a number one pick for 2025 if Buckner is one of the pieces that comes along with it. I'm just using it as an example to to illustrate what polls might be thinking about if he's going to do it before free agency starts. Sure. It allows him to to plug some spots on his board that he wouldn't have to sign or draft for. There's more. This is polls on fields. When we started to adjust and adapt to what he did well and he started running the ball a little bit, we saw a very unique and special ability and talent that can change the game. Now, the next piece in terms of being an efficient passer is what we need to get to. I've been open about that. We've talked about it with Justin. He knows. Can he be more clear-minded when he plays, where he can just play loose because he knows where he's going to go with the ball? I do think there's potential that we have something really good, and to me, you've got to see it through. So as for the market, so the best thing I heard here from a quarterback-seeking team in the top 10 was from one top club official, we're tired of the Band-Aids. And then he lines up the suitors. The aggressors are Indianapolis and Carolina. Interested parties would be Houston, possibly the Raiders, outside shot Seattle. That tired of the Band-Aid sounds like Indy because if you look yeah. at the quarterbacks that they've brought tired in. Band-Aid, man. I mean, if you, if you just look at it after Andrew Luck, like what they've done, where it's like, oh, well, here's Phillip Rivers for a year and here's Carson Wentz for a year and here's Matt Ryan like all three of those guys are band-aids as they haven't been able to find a quarterback in the draft more polls quotes I'm blessed to be able to read people I can feel it there's urgency out there okay there's pressure there's pressure on him with the three interested parties at the combine polls said it included at least one quote that's further back than what I thought but if I'm going to the next tier on the draft board you're going to have to make up for that with more capital the interesting part is having a conversation with one team, and then one hour later, another team texts you wanting in on the trade, and they're not afraid of what the floor of what you're asking for is. No one's going to rush me. I know I can get a 24-1 and a 25-1. You're telling me for the next two years I'll have two ones? That's either four really good players, or if we're cruising, we can still trade back. Mm-hmm. Now. Do you believe him, or do you think he's jawboning the market? Is this a little much? It's lying season, Dan, so I don't fully believe him. Okay. And the place where I don't fully where where I think that he's taking advantage of the opportunity to use Peter King and everyone knowing, that, everyone reading that column, everyone knowing who Peter King is. You sit for an hour with Peter King, you're there for a reason. Right. He's, he's not just buttonholing you in, in a... In a, in a corner of a hotel yeah i i feel like this was a, an opportunity for him to market like him to market that pick and i think that that's all right too like this is that's what this is this is what you have to i, I wrote it in sun times a couple weeks ago you have to hope that your general manager is a good liar and this is what he has to do he's got to go out here oh yeah 
we totally talk to the team that's tired of Band-Aids. Well, obviously, oh, that sounds very much like it, it could be Indianapolis. Oh, and we totally know that we're going to get a 24 and a 25-1. Mm-hmm. So now you're setting a, a, a price floor for what it is that you're looking for. Yeah, and he said that he knows he can get that. You know, there is some there is some clear advertising going on. Right. And that's unfortunately what one has to do in lying season. And I think that that Ryan Poles has done an excellent job so far. I am a little bit concerned. I'm concerned's not the right word. I'm curious on how this plays with other teams. And it's like what we were talking about with Mully during transition. Indianapolis can play the game of, well, we might get our guy at number four. You might. You also might not. And that, like, the certainty of moving up to number one. Because you can say, oh, we might get our guy. Yeah, Houston might get your guy too. And Carolina might jump up and get your guy. If Arizona doesn't like what is left on the board other than the quarterbacks. They might be willing to move down a few spots and pick up some assets. The only way to assure that you're going to get the guy that you want is to move up to number one. And now it's like, well, how how do those teams feel about it? And what is, what is it that Ryan Poles wants? In, in the example of Buckner... He'll be 28 when the season starts, right? He's 27 now, I think, and he'll be 28 when the season starts. That gives you a jump start on rebuilding your defensive line, which you desperately need. And that, it looks like, I don't know what the Bears think about Jalen Carter. They might think, well, we're willing to take the risk because he's a generational talent. They might also be going, nope, we don't know if he's going to be available. So we have to move on. And maybe it changes the the strategy of what you do here. But it's it's a fascinating game of liars poker. And I'm surprised that polls has been this public about, but but when you've got the most money in free agency and the number one pick. It's hard to mess it up. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, like he can play these games because they'll probably be a suitor no matter what. It's hard to mess up, so why not go out here with your chest out and say, this is what we need, this is what we're hearing, this is what we want, even if none of it's true. Like you say, it's the, the fact that he gave this interview could be read in two ways. One puffy chested, and I, I come to me. I'm the guy. I'm going to enjoy this, and I'm going to ride this out. As I could take this all the way up to being on the clock. I'm, no it, one, no one rushes your boy it, Ryan Poles. I don't get rushed, and that's fun. As Bears fans, that should be fun. On the other hand, there could be an undercurrent of desperation. Yes, that if there really were. Um, the market that he says, there's no reason to tell Peter King about it. That is correct. That's what I come down to. So have fun with either way. And maybe yeah. maybe there's there's no absolute on yeah, either maybe side. It's, maybe it's not binary. Right. But, where you're just like, you know what? This can't hurt, could help. Right. 
but but in the way that he talked, like even the way that he's talking about Justin Fields now is a little bit more definitive. He's a little bit more definitive at the beginning of the week of the combine. A little bit more definitive when he's talking to Peter King about this. So you can throw all of the other nonsense about him trading Justin Fields out the window, or maybe you can't. Who knows? Who knows? It's lying season. That's what it is, Dan. It's lying season. Mirrors I, reflecting on mirrors. That's right. Yep. And the mirror master himself, Ryan Poles, is out here like, hey, I got another guy on the other line for some white walls. So, you I'll know. I'll talk to you later, Charlie. <laughs> we got we to gotta find out what Houston wants. And I mean, oh, who, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows where I might trade that number one pick? There's so many suitors, and they all want quarterbacks, and all these quarterbacks are great. There are few names that I see on a guest list that I know 100% this is going to be an awesome next segment. Bob Kendrick is one of those names, and he joins us next on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. In 1910, Andrew Rube Foster, who was then the captain of a team called the Leland Giants, would somehow wrestle away control from Frank Leland, who was a co-owner of the team. And in 1911, the team won a remarkable 123 games with six losses. Foster would eventually change the name of the team to the Chicago American Giants. Dan, our guy Bob Kendrick is now in a video game. That's from MLB The Show 23. It's not just a video game. Right. It's the video game. Like, this is wild. So is it, I'm curious how it's working in. Is it a story, is it him telling the stories, or can you be that player and live that story? Well, why don't we ask him? Because there's eight stories, there's eight. There's eight Negro Leagues players okay. who have their stories inside of MLB The Show 23. That game, from and, and I, I just sort of watch from you know over a shoulder to see that game being played, but in the my career option to come up through minor leagues where they have the minor league parks and to get yourself promoted and have to put in the time at all these different levels. It's, it is amazing. The, the, the computing power of that game, the realism of that game is just, it's incredible. And now the fact that they felt strongly enough to incorporate our next guest in it is, is really a cool thing. Bob Kendrick is on Twitter at NLBM Prez with a Z. The president of the Negro League Baseball Museum is with us on the score hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Hello again, Bob. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thanks, guys. How are you all doing? We're doing great, man. Bob, how did, how did you get into a video game, man? How did that happen? Uh, 
You know, I have no idea, Lawrence, but all I know is that my cool level has grown tremendously since I am now about to be inside a video game. Who would have ever thunk it? Uh, but, no, I'm super excited about this. It's a tremendous honor to be lending my voice to what I think is a groundbreaking project that Sony PlayStation and the Negro League Space Bar Museum have embarked on to now include the Negro Leagues inside the video game MLB The Show 23 and subsequent editions of this game over the next several years. What was important to you about how this is done, that it isn't that, uh, tokenism, that this is done in the, in the yeah. right way? And, and, and you know what? It, wasn't not, it was not only important for me, it was also important for the folks over at PlayStation. They wanted to make sure that they gave proper respect to those players of the Negro Leagues as they're being introduced to this game. Now, one of the things that we did, and I think is one of the highlights of the video game, is the storyline mode that we created. So not only will you have the opportunity to play as Satchel Page or Buck O'Neill or Hilton Smith or Rube Foster, Hank Thompson, Jackie Robinson, Martin DeHigo, you will also be able to ascertain these many documentaries that help you understand the greatness of these individuals. And that's the piece that I'm narrating throughout the video game. And so that was a really important part to help us educate the end user about these heroes of the Negro Leagues. In, in, in your wildest dreams, as you embarked <laughs> on, the, on the, the mission of keeping the, the stories of the Negro Leagues alive, and I know how important it, it, it is to you. We've had long discussions about this. Like Thinking of this as a different mode and a mm-hmm. way of reaching people, I, I, I can't even – like would you have ever thought that this was a way for you to do some of the storytelling? I had hoped so. I wasn't sure if it was going to happen. There's been a cross-section of the gaming community that has been clamoring for the inclusion of Negro League players for quite some time. And I was beginning to doubt whether or not this would ever happen. Wasn't sure we could get the ear of someone who would really give it the kind of consideration and merit that it really deserved. I always felt like this would be an exciting way for us to engage a new generation around the history of the Negro Leagues because as a museum and as a history museum and particularly a cultural institution, my job is always searching to create relevancy. As you both know, the Negro Leagues hasn't been played in over six decades. And yet the life lessons from this tremendous story of triumph over adversity is just as meaningful and significant today as it was 60 plus years ago. And we needed to find creative avenues in order to connect this new generation with that and kind of help them learn about these legendary ball players and the things that they overcame, but really the joy that they had for playing this game and just how good they were at this game. And this checks all the boxes. And so I am just absolutely thrilled that we've been able to navigate this partnership. And based on the initial reaction, when we announced this in early February, this thing has gone bonkers. I mean, people are genuinely excited about this. And I can't help but reflect on 
some of my friends who I knew from the Negro Leagues, obviously uh, the late, great Buck O'Neill, to, to think about himself being in a video game and what that would mean to him. I don't know if he ever thought about being in a video game, but I know he constantly thought about how do we connect that new generation to this history and help inspire them uh, through what these athletes were able to endure in the face of tremendous social adversity. I'm wondering about the the twin goals of an effort like this over the long term. How much of this is helping the current audience for that game, if we're talking about a lot of young white males with disposable income who would be playing that game who would say, oh, wow, I didn't know that. This, I, I understand this better. This is cool. And how much of it is also going after maybe uh, young black men who would find themselves in baseball and, learn, and caring more about baseball and baseball culture and, and, and steeping themselves in the game and maybe playing the game more at a time when baseball is trying to encourage that. Does this serve both of those aims? I, I really think it does. I do. I, I think this is a gigantic step in helping urban kids who play this game see themselves in this game from a historical perspective. We have such a proud legacy in the game of baseball that a lot of kids really don't know. And as my late mother would say, you don't know what you don't know. And so I have to create these avenues to help you know. And I think as across the board, I think for the young white baseball fan, they're going to identify with some new heroes too. You know, get to play as Satchel Paige. I mean, who deserves to be in a video game more than Satchel Paige? When you talk about not only the skill, but the charisma that he brought to the game, these players from the Negro Leagues, really, they deserve that form because of the way they played the game. But I do think it's going to help create a connection between all of the in-game users, regardless of what, what color, color their skin is. But I do think it's going to help us as part of this strategy to get more kids interested in baseball if they can identify with themselves in this game. And so this gaming system is a tremendous way to do just that. You know what's funny about what Dan had to say, Bob? This morning, I'm, I'm coming in, I'm talking with uh, one of our producers, Mike Rankin, who's a Baseball guy, played it in college, loves the game. And I said, yeah, you know, who should we talk with Bob about? Because, you know, we we like to ask you questions about all these greats. And he he goes, hey, remember, last time you didn't ask about Satchel Page, So you got to ask about Satchel Page when – so so look, you're, this is a, a mid-20s white man that wants to know more about Satchel Page. So, all right, Bob, I need a Satchel Page story. What you got? Well, there's so many, as you know, but one of my favorites, the year is 1956. And if you believe that Satchel was born in 1906, fellas, this was now making 50 years old, which I certainly do not believe that he was born in 1906. But for the sake of the story, we'll say 1906. He is now pitching for the Miami Marlins. And a young outfielder by the name of Whitey Herzog was on that Marlins team. And Satchel, this is AAA baseball, and Satchel is pitching great whether the age was 50 or 60, who knows? And so the Marlins, and I had this verified with Whitey Herzog, 
And, and so they're on the road. They're in Rochester, New York. The Rochester team has a knot hole in the outfield wall, and they have a promotion that says if any batter can hit the ball on the fly through the knot hole, you could win $100,000. Well, this was virtually impossible. But Mr. Herzog says he's out in the outfield jogging. He decides he's going to take some baseballs with him because he wanted to see if the ball would actually fit in the hole. Well, there's just enough circumference to squeeze that ball through the hole. Mm-hmm. He goes and gets Satchel. He says, Satchel, you're always bragging about how great your control is and how you could throw a baseball over a chewing gum wrapper. Honest to God's truth. He didn't warm up in the bullpen like most pitchers do, throw it to the catcher across home plate. He would have the catcher sit a stick of foil chewing gum wrapper on top of, the home, on top of home plate. And wherever the catcher moved the chewing gum wrapper, the old man right over the top of this chewing gum wrapper. So you're always bragging about how, you, how great your control is. You can throw it over a chewing gum wrapper. Well, I bet you a bottle of old granddad bourbon that you can't throw a baseball through this knot hole. Now, guys, Satchel had a nickname for everybody. His nickname, famously for Mr. Herzog, was Wild Child. He says, Wild Child, where the ball fit. Mr. Herzog shows him it's just enough circumference to squeeze that ball through the hole. He says, Wild Child, I'll take that bet. So Mr. Herzog says he steps off 60 feet 6 inches, puts down the pitching rubber. He's going to give the old man three tries to throw that baseball through the knot hole. He says Satchel takes the baseball like a hunter is looking through the telescope of his rifle, and he measures. He says the first pitch goes in the hole but spins back out. He says he is in freaking disbelief, but he's saying to himself, there's no way he can get any closer than that. The very next pitch, right through the hole. He says Satchel reaches down picks up the bottle of bourbon, holds it up and says, wow, child, I'll take that, and saunders on off into the sunset. So, no, there will never, ever, ever be another Leroy Satchel page. Mm. Rankin, you satisfied with that Satchel Page story? Thanks go. so much, Bob. Yeah, and, and there was there was some. I just saw some video on Twitter that was making the rounds a while ago when Satchel was in his mid or late fifties, right? And yeah. it was just him him warming up and do. And I didn't. I don't know if I saw the the, the gum wrapper down there, but how repeatable his mechanics were. And even oh, like yeah. like ahead of the time, where where a modern pitching coach would look at his levers, his repeatable delivery, and what he was at that age. That's an old man. He was like five years yeah. older than I am now, and <laughs> and 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 bringing it, absolutely bringing it, and the same release point every single time. Every time. And he could give you, you know, as he got older, he didn't have the dominating fastball. Now remember, I'm comparing Satchel to Satchel. It wasn't the dominating fastball that Satchel had. He couldn't get it up there at 105 anymore like he did in his prime. But when he pitches for the Kansas City A's in 1965, and I was doing an interview with Rico Petroselli, who was on that Red Sox team that played against the Kansas City A's, the old man pitches three innings, giving up one hit, three shutout innings, giving up only one hit. Great trivia question. 1965 Boston Red Sox, who got that long hit off of Satchel? Hall of Famer, but it's not Ted Williams. Not, it, not Hawk Harrelson. Is it Yaz? Yes? It, it, it was Yaz. Carl Yastrzemski. 
Yes, Yaz gets a double against the old man. Satchel leaves him at third, and he shut down everybody else over three of the most remarkably pitched innings in baseball history at age 59, which means he could have been 69 years old at the time. Well, Rico Petroselli, who was on that team, says, Bob, we all went to the plate hacking away at that old man. They thought they're going to light this old dude up. And he says, fellas, at that time, Satchel's fastball was still 86, 87 miles per hour, and he's painting the black again at age 59, which means he could have been 69 years old. So that repeatable delivery you talked about, it was just second nature for him. And like I said, as he got older, he got more craftier, so he could throw it over the top. He dropped down three quarters. He'd even drop down Samarina style, and, and, but everything with pinpoint accuracy. So, no, no, there won't be another Leroy Satchel page. Bob, before we let you go, I just want to let you know that uh, over the weekend, I had a little uh, educational experience last weekend because uh, my son and I were, uh, were going up to visit college, and we stopped for a night. We were in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And one of the things we like to do when we're on the road together is always, always, always check out the local minor league ballpark, If there's, especially if it's an affiliated ballpark, in season or out of season. So we went across the bridge to City Island to see what is now, I believe, it's FNB Field. But it's the same place, as we learned, there are signs up there talking about the history of City Island. The fields were, there was, used to be Island Park in the 20s, and that was the home park of the Harrisburg Giants. And there are signs up all about the ECL and the formation of the Giants in the 1890s. And we learned, you know, then, of course, we get on our phones and start looking all this stuff up about outfielder first baseman Heavy Johnson, who was a Kansas City monarch. And it was just it was just really cool to see that there's still there's there's professional baseball going on in the very same spot on the very same island still. Yeah, no, that's, you know, and that always brings a smile to my face and the fact that there's professional baseball is being played there and some of the other stadiums that are now being restored. I'm excited about the project that's happening in Patterson, New Jersey with Hinchcliffe Stadium and it's about to be reopened and what they're doing in Detroit with Hamtramck Stadium. Uh, League Park in Cleveland, and of course, Rickwood Field, which is the oldest active baseball stadium to this day, and of course, was home to the Birmingham Black Barons. And so those moments like that are always very special for me, uh, particularly those areas where Negro Leagues baseball was really revered. And and Harrisburg and that great Harrisburg Giant team uh, is so representative of that. Bob, I don't know if you knew about this. I, I wonder if you were even consulted about it. But there was a play here in Chicago that just finished its run. Yes. At the Goodman Theater about Tony Stone. Um, yes. And, and I was wondering if you had heard about it and, and what are the things that you would want people to know about Tony Stone? Well, number one, I went to the opening night performance there at the Goodman. So I was in Chicago for the uh, opening night performance. It was one of those quick trips in and out. And I've seen it three times. The original screenplay was uh, featured off Broadway. And we had that cast come out to Kansas City and the playwright, Lydia Diamond, come out to Kansas City. So the museum was intimately involved with this production. And it's been great to see now for me. I've seen it in Atlanta and now in Chicago. And the cast in Chicago did an amazing job of capturing Lydia Diamond's tremendous play on the life of Tony Stone, one of the three women 
who played in the Negro Leagues, and Tony being the first of those three women, and the challenges that those women had to endure, as you guys can both well imagine, they not only had to deal with racism, but they had to deal with sexism. But all three women could play. And the Negro Leagues gave them a playing ground in which they got to showcase their baseball abilities with and against the men in the 1950s. Tony Stone would take the roster place of someone you likely heard his name before, the great Henry Aaron. Yeah, Henry Aaron was playing for the Indianapolis Clowns in 1952 when the Braves signed him away from the Clowns by the end of the 52 season. Uh, and, of course, at that time it was the Boston Braves who would become the Milwaukee Braves, of course, who would become the Atlanta Braves. In 1953, the Indianapolis Clowns replaced him with Tony Stone, a high, tremendously talented infielder, and then Mamie Peanut Johnson would subsequently join the team. She was a five foot three inch pitcher with a strong right arm. She was striking those fellows out. And Connie Morgan, who hailed from Philadelphia, they were pioneers, women who competed with and against the men in the Negro Leagues. Man, Bob, I I swear to you, I could when I say I could do this all day, I I, I mean it. I I legitimately could. I I could I could spend the rest of the show and the rest of the week doing this. But uh, I thank you so much for uh, just taking a small part of your day and spending it with us. Oh man, it is my pleasure. Uh, thank you guys for always uh, just talking up this history and the work that the museum is doing. I hope all of those folks who are listening who are video gamers, even if you're not a gamer, you need to support this game because it does support the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And this is history with the inclusion of the first eight Negro League players into the video game, MLB The Show 23. Bob, you're the best, man. We'll see you soon. All right, guys. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again for having me. That's the great Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro League Baseball Museum. You talk about cool, right. you know, like right. that's a dude that's just cool. That 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 Satchel Page story is just—it's one man, of like many. I know I he's know. Paul Bunyan. I know, you know, like like the stories about Satchel Page and different contests that he would get into or things that he did, and no one knew how old he was, and you'd see like interviews with him. Like I want to say it was Dick Cavett and him were talking. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. If, does it really matter how I don't know how old I am? Like just mm-hmm. kind of playing into the legend of of Satchel Page. So you know, we could honestly do a four hour show with Bob. We could, and people would be like, "Wait, ask about this player. Wait, I right. want another story about this. Wait, was Josh Gibson really that damn strong?" That's how good he is. Like, a, fr- a friend of mine ran into Dick Cavett a couple of weeks ago, actually. Really? Yeah. He was, he was in a bathroom at a restaurant in New York. He's like, are you Dick Cavett? No, he's, and he, he looks over, and he's, he's they're, they're like at the urinal. He looks over, and it's Dick Cavett. And, and Dick Cavett realizes that he knew like, who oh, he was. Great. No, and without just completely deadpan, Cavett leans over the guy and goes, this is the best place to pee in all of New York. Just <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I've got a, a baseball trivia question for you. Okay. And this will lead in to... Joey Votto. No. Oh. How many innings did pitchers 21 and younger throw in MLB last year? Total. How many total innings did pitchers 21 and younger throw in baseball last year. You want me to answer it now? No, I just want you to get a number in your head. I'll answer it on the other side of a brief timeout. Bernstein and Holmes on the score. 
You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670. When we last left you, I asked a question. How many innings did pitchers 21 and younger throw last year in MLB? There's a lot of good young arms out there. But Major League Baseball is having a hard time getting those young men up to the majors. So I'm going to say... I'm going to say 500 innings. Anybody else? Anybody else have a thought? Pitchers 21 or younger. I asked I asked this question of my son. He guessed 90. Mike? I know the answer. I don't want oh, to say Oh, but don't guess. Ray, do you know the answer? Yeah, I've been. The, the jury's tainted over here, too. I, I read it. The, so answer, I the answer. The answer, five. Oh. And it's one guy. Oh. Simeon Woods Richardson made one appearance and threw five innings. So I was way off. In a start for the Twins on the final weekend of the season. He was the only 21-year-old to pitch in the majors last year. In 2021, there were six. Those six combined for 202 or fewer than C.C. Sabathia threw as a 21-year-old in 2002, his second full season in the majors. This is from an interesting piece by Joe Sheehan, of course, who says... We've eliminated the pitching phenom. He no longer exists. The modern approach to pitcher development, which is, you know, has produced the healthiest group of pitchers in history and forced Dr. James Andrews (laughs) into poverty, simply doesn't allow for Jose Fernandez or Dwight Gooden or Don Gullett. Or Kerry Wood. I'd like to talk to Kerry about this, actually. Or the Phillies' Andrew Painter. Because that was where the jumping off point of this piece, that Andrew Painter has just 109 and two-thirds pro innings under his belt, 28 of those above A-ball. Painter's still a teenager for a few more weeks. And they don't, the, the idea of young pitchers pitching to major leaguers has now become anathema. And what Sheehan says, it's time to change that. There's no such thing as a pitching prospect. That was a mantra coined by Baseball Prospectus founder Gary Huckabee. It's used as a disclaimer, a means of tamping down the heat on a young hurler. But what Huckabee says is it means two things. Pitchers get hurt at approximately the same rate that meth heads swipe identities and lose teeth. That's what all pitchers do, not just prospects. But this also has another meaning. The guys who are totally blowing people away in the minors, like there's so many hot dog pretenders before Kobayashi, those aren't pitching prospects. They're pitchers. More time in the minors only means time off the living, pulsating clocks that are their labrums, their rotator cuffs, and their elbows. And the reason Kerry Wood's name comes up is I'll never forget what he said at some point. There's only so many bullets in this gun. And he knew it. He says, over a long timeline, this is Sheehan, every pitcher gets hurt. And over pretty short timelines, most of them do. Given that, the way we develop pitchers nowadays is too cautious. It's an understandable overreaction to prior eras in which teenagers would throw 188 innings and A-ball or 20-year-olds were allowed to walk 126 and strike out 189 as a matter of course. I remember a game. Do you remember uh, Cubs phenom Brooks Kieschnick? Yeah, the, the, the hitter or pitcher. 
in the I want to say in the championship game at Texas, he threw 189 pitches. Yeah, I was I was actually I covered him in spring training, Brooks Keyshake. I was watching him hit bombs. And I was just sitting there going, that's too many pitches. <laughs> well, and way all, too many. So and that's why he says that was too far one way. But a 19-year-old Andrew Painter averaging 18 batters a start in a full season is too far the other way. Agreed. It's not just about volume. He said if Painter's one of the five best Philly starters, he should be in the majors, not wasting his pitches entertaining the citizens of Reading, Pennsylvania. There's no such thing as a pitching prospect because what we call a pitching prospect is just a pitcher. You know what I was thinking in connecting some other things that we've been talking about after reading the, the piece by Joe? Will we see, with the invention of the pitch clock, will we see more innings from pitchers because they are learning to pitch and they're not throwing max effort pitches every single pitch? Mm-hmm. Will we see guys like like lengthen their season and their career because the power bar isn't going all the way back up to 100 before you throw the ball again. Maybe they're using more of their core muscles in their wind-up and delivery, and and maybe it's a little slower to the plate, and maybe that means there's more base stealing. You don't think Theo has gamed all this stuff out? This is all part of the discussion. Sure, that when everything isn't, my arm is going to throw this ball as hard as it possibly can, as quickly as possible once I start my delivery, and there maybe is a little bit more movement and more use of every every lever to conserve some of that strength over, over time when it's being reset that quickly. Absolutely. That might be great for baseball. All right. I, I think it's a really interesting piece. And I'm, I am fascinated by... How and we'll talk about it a little bit later on with the Tucker Barnhart stuff. And I'm thinking about Kopech. This is all when you think about Michael Kopech, like it's his tenth year. Yeah, but it's he's, his tenth year in baseball. But he said that he's now a little, maybe a little bit more pitcher than he is thrower. But that's because of injuries. He said it's due to the injuries. What if he just came up? He just threw. Chris Sale didn't take long. And but now. But but they didn't waste it. They didn't. They didn't waste it. They probably ended up making a good move. Although you could argue that 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 trade was a wash. But they didn't waste it, and, and now it's just watching him try to put himself together year after year. You know who the other guy is that we should talk to about this? The bat. The the uh, the, the rotation mate. We should talk to Mark Pryor about it because mm-hmm. now he's doing viewing it from the coaching side of it too. Fascinating stuff, man. Fascinating. I love it. We got Bulls basketball to address next with Kendall Gill joining us on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.